Okay, so first, um, thank you, Andrea, for praying for me this morning. Um, I, if you guys don't pray for the leaders during the week, you need to. You need to pray for the people that get up in front and speak to you every week. Um, I certainly have spent a lot of time this week praying about what I was going to share with you this morning. Um, And what I'm going to share with you this morning is pretty personal to me, because I think that, first of all, it's what God has taught me, it's what God has convicted me of, it's how God has worked in my life, um, and how he's worked in the lives of other people to bring Jesus to them. Um, But last week, so last week and this week, we're telling stories that help us understand what our mission is as a church. And I have three short stories I'm going to share with you this morning and then just make a few observations about each one of them. But I wanted to start by saying that last week, Brad used the movie Downsizing to illustrate um, his points about our our. Uh, mission as a church. And so Kurt told me this week that I should use the movie Biggie Size Me as my backdrop to go along with that. I did not take his advice, just so you know. (laughs) Um, But our mission as a family of churches is to make and mature disciples to the glory of God. And we specifically chose things that would be easy for people to remember so that like we could easily remember what our mission is. But I think one of the downfalls of that is that it becomes kind of um, churchy or kind of uh, doesn't have a lot of meaning to it because we just kind of spit out this mission and we don't really think about what goes behind it. So it's really kind of why we're telling stories. Because stories reflect what that mission really means and what it really is. And I just want to give you a heads up before I start today that one of the values that I'm going to use throughout these stories today is the value of sincerity and genuineness. Because in my mind, as we think about sharing Jesus with people and we think about being spiritual friends to people, Sincerity and genuineness are the most important attributes in befriending people and pointing them to Jesus. It's also at the top of the list in importance in how we live that out in our church community as well. If we aren't sincere and genuine, we've got to start there and ask the Spirit to transform our hearts to be sincere and genuine like Jesus was. So this first story that I'm going to tell you could be any number of people that I've met in my life or that I've heard other people talk about having met and befriended. Um, I will remind you, I like to speak in the first person when I tell stories, and so it does not necessarily mean that this is me and something personal that has happened to me. So having said that, I'm going to start in on this story. I met her at the park. My husband was playing softball on a city league, and she was walking her very cute little dog. The dog was getting tired, and she enjoyed sports, so they took a break and were sitting in the stands watching the game. 
I introduced myself and asked if I could pet her dog. She told me her name was Casey and her dog's name was Nala, which made me laugh because everything about her was the exact opposite of a lion. We were chatting as a group of kids chased each other up and down the bleachers, and one lost his balance and knocked her coke over. She said, wow, these kids have a lot of energy. I bet their parents are hoping they wear themselves out while they're here. I responded, yes, we are. She got a funny look on her face, so I smiled and said, they're mine. Her eyes got really wide, and she said, all of them? Now, I'm used to this reaction. Sometimes it's judgmental and disapproving, but I didn't sense that from her. She just seemed to be truly surprised. I laughed as I said, well, not all of them, but most of them. Then I pointed out my five. Of course, as soon as they saw Nala, they all came racing over to play with her. As they were ooing and aahing and petting her, I introduced each of my kids to Casey. She asked if they wanted to see Nala do tricks and got them all to sit down, a miracle of sorts, while she showed them a few of Nala's best ones. They were sufficiently impressed, and so was I. It's not often you meet people who are comfortable with and not intimidated by five kids. After a bit, the kids ran off again and left Casey and I to talk. Now, I'm usually pretty guarded when I talk to people, but I found myself telling her more than I did most people. Maybe it was because she was easy to talk to and listened in a way that made it seem she was genuinely interested in my life. Or maybe I was just desperate for adult conversation. Whatever the reason, I told her about myself. I'd been married for 10 years, and before I had kids, I worked in software implementation. However, that involved a lot of travel, and now that we had five kids, it made, it, it made more sense financially to be at home with them. Plus, I really liked the time I got to spend with them. I told her about working a few hours a week leading cycling classes at the rec center by our house to bring in a little extra money and get some adult interaction. My husband worked for the city to pay the bills, but playing in his band is what he truly loved. She said that she had heard of his band and that she would love to come hear them play sometime. She told me that she was single and that she was a speech pathologist, which was in many ways her dream job. She liked music and sports and enjoyed the outdoors and being active and meeting new people. I enjoyed our talk. I was surprised, but in a good way, when she asked for my phone number and gave me hers before we left. I was even more surprised when I heard from her a few days later. She just sent a short text saying she had enjoyed our talk and would be at the park next week and hoped to see me and the kids again. She ended with, how is your week going? I replied that it was my usual crazy week and that I would look for her at the park next week. For the next two weeks, we met at the park on Tuesday nights. The kids looked forward to playing with Nala, and Casey even let them take her for a walk, which of course they thought was the best thing ever. She and I would talk and laugh, and I found myself looking forward to seeing her. The fourth week, I had to miss because two of my kids were sick. I told my husband to tell Casey where we were so she wouldn't wait around for us. The next thing I know, the doorbell rings, and there she is with a box of popsicles for the kids and a container of ice cream for the two of us to share. I said, how did you know where I live? 
She laughed. It wasn't hard. I just asked your husband. I hadn't been out of the house in three days other than taking the kids that weren't sick to school, so her visit was a welcome surprise. I probably talked her ear off. But I think that night, what started out as weekly talks with a friendly stranger took a turn towards a real friendship. The following Tuesday night, everyone was well, thankfully, and we arrived at the park to see Casey, but no Nala. All the kids were talking at once, asking Casey why Nala wasn't here. And as tears slid down her cheeks, Casey told us that Nala had been hit by a car and was in the animal hospital. She asked if we would mind praying with her, and even though we didn't pray often, of course we said we would. She said a short, sweet prayer, and we all said amen. Then the kids hugged her and assured her that Nala would be okay. They made her feel better in a way that only kids can do. As we sat and talked, Casey said, I hope it was okay that we prayed. I haven't even asked you if you're a Christian. I replied, I mean, we're Texans, so of course we're Christians. (laughs) We try to be good people, but we're really too busy for the whole church thing with work and the kids and the band and all. I don't really see the point in praying because it doesn't seem like it really changes anything. But if it makes you feel better, I'm totally fine with that. Then Casey asked me something strange. What do you believe about God? I was confused by that question. I said, I thought I just told you. We sat quietly for a minute, and then she said, but what do you believe about him? Who is he? Like, what is he like? What do you think he thinks about you? I told her, I guess I'd never really thought about that. And she replied, maybe you could give it some thought. That night, the kids wanted to pray for Nala again. I wasn't really sure how to pray, but somehow we muddled through. My oldest daughter just mostly said the same thing Casey had said earlier. That was our first time to pray together as a family. Honestly, it was kind of weird, but also kind of comforting. A couple of days later, I got a text from Casey saying that Nala was out of the woods. It would be a slow recovery, but she would come home the next day. The kids were so excited. They asked if we could go to the pet store and buy Nala a toy and take it to her. So I arranged a time with Casey to drop by. While we were there, I invited Casey to go with me to hear my husband's band play a week from Saturday night. She asked if she could bring a couple of friends, and I told her the bigger the crowd, the better. The Wednesday before we were to go, my babysitter called and canceled on me. Ugh. I tried to find another one, but no luck. It's not easy or cheap to find a sitter for five kids. I called Casey to let her know that I wouldn't be there, and she asked if I would be okay with her checking with some of her friends to see if they could stay with the kids. I told her as long as they were people she knew well and trusted, I was fine with that, but to please remember that I had a pretty tight budget. Two hours later, she said two of her friends that were teachers had agreed to stay with the kids. All I could think was, teachers, how much is that going to cost me? Casey said nothing. I have to admit that I was pretty skeptical. I mean, who keeps kids on a Saturday night for nothing? But she assured me that they were happy to do it and didn't want any money. Saturday arrived, and I began to get nervous. Matter of fact, I don't think it would fall anywhere close. And the band tends to drink a little too much, and the language is not always PG. 
And I didn't know if Casey's friends were from her church or not, but what if they were, and what if they were offended? I wondered what it really meant when someone said they were a Christian. But Casey said she was a Christian, so I thought about what that looked like in her life. She knew the band was playing at a bar and still wanted to come. She talked to my kids like they really mattered, all five of them. She let them help with Nala and made them feel special. And she was a good friend to me. In the short time I have known her, she's heard me use some colorful language, knows I don't go to church, has seen the real me and still chose to be my friend. And she's been a good friend to me. I thought about her question, what do I believe about God? And I honestly don't know. But I know that Casey's been a good listener. We've laughed and cried together. We've eaten ice cream together and even prayed together. So maybe that tells me something about God. Hmm, I'll have to think about that some more. And I'm going to stop the story there. And I hope that what you hear in this story and what it illustrates to you is that sincere and genuine friendship is important to our church community and to the way we go about sharing Jesus with other people. Our friendships should point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. And one of the reasons this is important is as we live life together, opportunities come up where it makes sense to ask questions that help people think about spiritual things. See, as we live life together, we get these little snippets of real life that allow us to ask real questions and not forced questions. It's so easy to get busy with life and never think about the most important questions. Also, it gives people context for who God is and what it means to live for Jesus. They can see it in our lives and in our relationship with them if we are sincere and genuine. Okay, the second story. This story is um, very much a first-person story. This is a real story that happened with me. It's very personal to me. Her name was Susie. She moved in across the street to live with her daughter. She had just gotten out of prison where she had spent several years for drug convictions. We met when her daughter asked me to come over and so she could introduce us. She was seven years older than me and she reminded me of the stereotypical hippie from the 60s. She had long hair that was braided down her back. She was dressed simply with no makeup. She was astoundingly gentle given the rough place that she had just come from. She loved the lake and dolphins and actually animals of all kinds. It was surprising to me, given her background, that she only had one tattoo, and that tattoo was of a dolphin on her ankle. She loved the lake. She loved to relax on the weekends. And so I just said to her when we met, would you want to go to the park one day next week? And she said she thought she would like that. It was summer, so I picked her up after dinner, and we swung by Sonic and got a Coke and then went to the park. We talked for a bit, just getting to know each other, and she told me right away that she was a heroin addict. She started using when she was in ninth grade. She asked if we could pray together, and we did. 
She came to church with me a few times at Northeast Garland, and she really loved it. But largely because of some of her time in prison, crowds were very difficult for her. She had a really hard time with that, and so church was really hard for her. So she started coming to a small group that met at our house, which again, we were just across the street from from each other. She asked if the next time we went to the park, we could do a Bible study, and of course I said yes. Surprisingly, she knew a lot about the Bible. She told me that her parents were Christians and had raised her in church, and that she had learned a lot of scripture growing up. She had always loved the Bible, and even though she had wandered from her faith, um, especially during her times of using, she spent time reading the Bible during times of sobriety, which a lot of that was while she was in prison. It seemed like the Bible, rather than making her feel less than or feel judged, gave her great comfort and helped her find the love of God. We talked about God, and we talked about drugs, and we talked about faith, and healing, and forgiveness, and grace. We prayed together, and we prayed for each other. But slowly, she started making excuses as to why she couldn't meet, and finally, one day, she disappeared. Her daughter told me that her mom was using again and was living on the streets again. And one of the reasons I share this story with you is to illustrate that part of being sincere and genuine and sharing Jesus with people is not letting them become projects. Now, we talk about that a lot, but I'm not sure that we really understand what that means. I'm not sure I always really understand what that means. And so I purposely left off the end of this story, and I purposely left off the end of the story before so that you could think through some of the questions I'm about to ask you. How would you feel if you were the person that spent time with Susie, became her friend, cared about her, studied, and prayed with her? Would you consider it a waste of time, given that she went back to using and back to the streets? Would you consider it a failure Would it deter you from befriending another addict? Would you share this story when asked to tell about someone you've shared Jesus with? What about the first story? Does it bother you not to know how it turned out? Is it only encouraging if she and her whole family become committed disciples, and join a church community. See, is success or the right outcome or feeling good becomes our purpose behind sharing Jesus with people, then we've probably made them projects. I don't think that most of the time we go into relationships with that as our purpose. I know at least I never do. But I can see how that sometimes, without even knowing it, that becomes the case. And so I think part of being sincere and genuine is guarding against that in our relationships. 
The Bible tells us clearly that the results are God's work, not ours. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7 says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. I don't know about you, but I don't really like that very much. To be called, for it to be said, I'm not anything. Why is it that I want to think of myself as something? Because compared to God and the way he makes things grow, I am nothing. We are to take advantage of whatever opportunities God gives us and then leave the results up to him. That is key to sincerity and genuineness. Story number three. This is the story of something that really happened in one of our church communities recently. And I'm just going to kind of retell it to you, leaving out some um, key details and stuff. And some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. A man that is a member of one of our churches posted in the church Facebook group and said that he hadn't been at church recently because he was tired of coming. He went on to say that it wasn't because of anyone in the church, but because of him being angry with God. He is angry with God because he perceives his life as one of only failure, even while so many people are doing their best to help him. He expresses that he wishes he didn't have the mental disabilities that he has, and that if he didn't have them and was born a different person, he would be able to do God's will much better and be a much better person than he is. He says, I'm mad at God for making me how I am. I feel that he strings me along like a sadistic puppeteer, and I'm just supposed to live up to everyone else's expectations, especially his. And I share this to illustrate two things. First, I know this man personally, and as I read this post, I sobbed. Part of it was my compassion for the pain he was experiencing. But the bigger reason was my shame at having grown tired of his struggle. Do you hear that? I had grown tired of his struggle. You can hear in his post the reminder that he didn't choose these social and mental disabilities and that he feels like he can't change them and probably in a lot of ways can't. Why did I lose sight of that? Why did I lose sight of that? It's because I took my eyes off Jesus and I put them on me. That's the only reason. Many people are struggling with things that unless they receive a miraculous healing, which they can and could, but unless they do, those things are probably not going to go away in the now. They might get better and probably will get better, but they won't go away. Mental mental illness is not the only thing that falls into this category. Physical illness, recovering from trauma, major social deficits, and the list goes on and on. The mark of genuineness and sincerity is how we respond if that is the case. Are we prepared to love people? Are we prepared to be their friends, even if their struggles never get markedly better? Are we willing to continue praying for them, even if we never see the answers to those prayers? 
If not, then we are not sincere and genuine with our friendship. Second, it doesn't get more sincere and genuine than this man's post. He posted this out to the entire church community as well as many others that would have been on that same, in that same group. As a church community, we have to make it safe and we have to make it normal to share these types of thoughts. If we're to pray effectively for one another, if we're to encourage one another effectively, and if we're to fulfill the one another passages. We cannot do that if we continue to be in community and come week after week and pretend like we've got it all together when we don't. And we can't be in community effectively if that's what we want from everybody else. If we want them to come and pretend like they're okay. I want you to hear some of the responses from the church community to this man. And I want you to know that these responses are from men and women, from young and old. Some are members, some are not. Um, Some struggle with mental illness. Some have spent time in prison. Some have been addicts. Some have experienced unimaginable loss. Some have desperately wanted children and not been able to have them. Some have had their families ripped apart by sexual abuse. Some have been following Jesus for a long time, and some have only just started. So I want you to know that these responses run the gamut. Like, these are not responses from the staff. These are responses from real members of the community. The first one says, I relate to what you're saying. Sometimes I feel like I get nothing out of coming. But I know when I go, it may be that I am there to give something instead. I am on your side and value you. We love your heart. I suspect many of your brothers and sisters have felt the way you say you feel now. It is okay to have these feelings. We are humans. And the number one thing that is said over and over again is I have felt that way. One thing that really caught my eye in your post, feeling that if God had made you differently, you would be able to do his will better, and the feeling that you can't live up to others' expectations or God's as a result. Stop believing the lie that God has not completely satisfied you with you unless you are able to do X, Y, or Z the way other people seem to. Stop believing that God loves you based on how well you are doing. That may be a message that you have received, but it is not true. It is not an accurate picture of God. Don't believe it. He loves you the way you are with your disabilities and all. There are people you can bless with your life in ways that others wired differently cannot. What God wants from you is trust and dependence on him in whatever struggles you have in life. So don't grade yourself or picture God grading you and being disappointed in you. In Christ, you are righteous and loved as a child just the way you are, praying for you. Sorry you are having a rough season. Don't give up on God. He has not given up on you, nor is he disappointed in you. I don't think any less of you for what you posted. Being honest is the best thing to do. 
And to be honest, there have been several times when you have ministered to my heart. Whether it be remembering something my family was going through or asking about something no one else remembers, you must remind yourself that you matter to God. That is easier said than done. I too struggle with that as well. I encourage you to push yourself to believe he loves you as I will choose to do the same. I love you. You're such a sweet and thoughtful friend and you have so much to offer our body. God loves you and cares deeply about your pain. I believe he's got a plan for you and has a lot of work he wants to accomplish through you. And then just two more. Man, I feel you on this. This has been so many times in my life when I've felt that I've reached the end of my rope with or without God. The world has that effect on us. It's hard walking with God. If it were easy, then there would be no narrow gate. Jesus told us that we would have trouble, and we do, a lot more than we would like, especially when we serve an all-powerful and knowing God. I mean, why doesn't he just give us what we want? Why doesn't he make it easy for us to be what we perceive we should be? I've asked these questions so many times. I love him. Why won't he help me overcome my struggles? Why won't he remove my thorn in the flesh? Why does it have to be so hard? And for me, it comes down to it's had to be hard for me because what he has because, so I can become what he has designed me to become. He loves me so much, he wants me to lack nothing. But he knows that I can only get there by persevering through the hardest of times. He promises that we will reap a great reward if we don't quit. Someone said to me many years ago, don't ever quit. Don't ever, ever quit. These words were all that I had many times. But through the years and trials that many times led me to the edge of quitting, I realized that quitting wasn't an option. There is nothing there when you quit. It's void. It's dark and lifeless. I'd rather live in agony following Christ than live in nothing. We all love you and understand the struggle. You are not alone. Get up, dust yourself off, and keep walking in faith. It's what we do. We don't quit. We don't ever, ever quit. Do you hear how this response puts courage into the man that wrote the post? See, he's sharing truth with him, and he's giving him the courage to keep going. And then the last one. This makes me sad to read. I'm thankful for your honesty, though. I kept thinking about how sad I would be if my daughter thought about me the way you're thinking about God. Not mad, but very, very sad. I mean, sure, she messes up. Sure, she's not perfect. She doesn't always listen. I have to ask her to do the same thing what feels like a million times. She whines when she doesn't get her way, and there's a lot she can't do. She can't open her own applesauce. She can't get her own juice. She doesn't know how to read or write on her own. She makes my life actually quite a bit more difficult. I can't sleep as much as I want or watch what I want or really do very much of what I want. I don't need her. I can do everything on my own. Anything she could do for me, I could do better. But I don't want anything from her. I want to give to her. 
and I just want her to be with me. See, she doesn't have to do anything or be anything for me. She's always been enough for me. Even when she was a newborn, when she couldn't do a single thing, when she couldn't even show affection, I loved her with all my heart. If I, just a human, feel that way about my daughter, how much more does God our creator feel about us? He could have used any way to describe his relationship with us, and he chose Father. That tells us a whole lot. When I start feeling the way you're feeling, and I certainly have before, even recently actually, I remember these things. Hopefully it speaks to you too. You're really loved by all of us and would all be hurt to lose you. And God feels even more that way than any of us ever could. See, most of us are not brave enough to let our church community know this is how we really feel. But look what happened when someone took the chance and did. Many people expressed having similar feelings. It was the overwhelming response. Yet they all had truth and they all had encouragement to share. And that truth ministered not only to him, but to the whole church body and to anyone else that was reading. And what is interesting to me is that oftentimes the person that was responding to him ministered to themselves by telling him the truth that they had been shown and that they had learned and that they had found to be real and true. See, only God can do that. Only God can do that. And it's why in his wisdom, he put us in community. And we're able to maximize community when we're sincere and genuine with one another. So in conclusion, being sincere and genuine is important to the way we carry out our mission of making and maturing disciples to the glory of God. We must be sincere and genuine in our friendships while leaving the results up to God. We must stay with people in their struggles, and we must let our community in on how we're really doing. I hope that you'll think about these stories throughout the week. I hope that maybe there's one that just really sticks with you. And I hope that you'll ask yourself some of the questions that I've asked you this morning and that it will make you more genuine and more sincere, more determined to let Jesus transform your heart to look like his. Romans 12, 9 through 16 says, and this is from the message, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. How, that makes me laugh because how like us. I'm going to bless my enemies, but I'm going to curse them as I do. <laughs> laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with people that are considered nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. See, I love that. Um, I think that that is 
Those verses right there, I could dwell on for about the next several months um, as my quiet time to really transform and change my attitude to be like Jesus. As we think about taking communion together, um, I want to go back to that last comment on the Facebook post and just read you a little snippet of that. Anything she could do for me, I could do better. See, anything we could do for God, God can do better. But I don't want anything from her. God doesn't want anything from us. He wants to give to us. He wants us to be with him. We don't have to do anything or be anything. We were enough for him from the beginning. And he loves us with all of his heart. See, the words that she wrote are human words and human relationships, and that's what God uses to help us understand his love. How great must our God's love for us be if this beautiful description doesn't even come close to describing how much our God truly loves us. And we know that because he expresses that love in Jesus. And as we take communion, one of the things I want us to really rejoice in and really think in is the love that God lavished on us when he sent Jesus and the gift that Jesus gave us when he gave his life so that we could be reconciled to God, the one who loves us so dearly. So we're going to take communion together. And as we do, um, or actually as you get up to go take communion, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stack your chairs unless you just need yours to sit in. If you need yours, that's fine. But we're going to do um, our praise and worship time together this morning standing up. So if you are on this side of the room, you have the dark gray seats, and those need to go on this rack back here. And if you're on this side of the room, you have the light gray seats, and those are going to need to go on that rack over there, and there'll be some people that can help you with that. But I'm going to pray for us together, and then um, you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the grape juice and think about what we've just talked about, about what a gift Jesus is to us. Father, I am so overwhelmed by your love for us. Um, and that you would choose to use such imperfect people to express that love to others. That you would choose us to be your representatives. I'm not sure that would have been my plan. Um, but you and your wisdom knew that that's what we needed. And I just pray that as a community and as individuals, that we'll work really hard to be sincere and genuine in the way that we love people, in the way that we talk about you, in the way that we point people to you, God. And I pray that as we take communion this morning, that we'll be reminded of the love you showed us when you sent Jesus and the gift that he gave us when he gave his life so that we could have a relationship with you and be reconciled to you. God, we're not worthy but we know that you have deemed us worthy and we're so grateful. And um, I just pray that as we go about the rest of our praise and worship this morning, that you would help us to worship truly and help us to worship in spirit and help us to worship in a way that pleases you. God, thank you for this community that we get to come and be with. Thank you for this community that we get to live life with. And I pray, God, that uh, you would knit us together and that you would transform us to become more and more 
like the church that you had in mind. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.